When was the last time you were scared out of your wits by a movie? Halloween, the motion picture about the most terrifying night of the year. Halloween, the night three teenage girls discover the real trick is to stay alive. Halloween, the night he came home. From Compass International Pictures, rated R. Show, everybody. Show. Good, like, driving around town music before you have to go to your babysitter gig. It really is. So soothing. But also spooky. Welcome back to the show. Yes, Another indeed. movie in our October lineup. Yes, indeed. Everybody out there listening, my name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that made us gay. Ah, so excited for this movie. Oh, my goodness. We've been waiting a while to do this we one. Have. And we're finally bringing it to you. Mm-hmm. But um, just in time for our spooky season, Scott, what do we have and who do we have with us? We watched Halloween from 1978, directed by John Carpenter and also produced by Deborah Hill. I got to give a shout out to Deborah Hill. You got to gi- give Deborah Hill some love. With our horror bestie returning Movies That Made Us Gay guest, Matt Emmert. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back, Matt. And I feel like uh, now, I mean, I've known you for quite a quite a bit, like... I mean, not quite 10 years, but I mean, it's going up there. But I feel like now, whenever yeah. I think of John Carpenter's Halloween, I immediately think of you. Like, you're the and first that person exactly, that comes to mind. <laughs> that is what my what my life to be about. I'm serious, though. This is my favorite movie of all time. It is what got me obsessed with horror. It is what got me obsessed with the holiday Halloween. I mean, this has so much relevance in my life. I, you couldn't have picked a better movie for me to talk about, so I'm so excited to talk about it with you guys. Awesome, awesome. And you're also, as we can see in this uh, Skype conversation, you're wearing your uh, Halloween t-shirt. Love that. I can see a Michael Myers <laughs> candy bowl back there. Wow. I, it says hot, so I only have about probably six to eight sure. Halloween related t shirts. And um, this one says Halloween safety, and it shows Lori helping Tommy Doyle um, or reading to Tommy Doyle with a pumpkin, and Michael Myers is over them with a knife. <laughs> and uh, it says a sitter's guide. I love I it. It's a sitter's guide to Halloween safety. I love it. We'll probably hit on this a little later in uh, in the episode, but we have to talk about. Michael Myers as like gay, like sexy icon. Michael Myers is a pinup in 2020. <laughs> oh, oh, I have definitely like the internet. They've turned most horror villains into yeah. gay, sexy daddies. I'm sure you've like, seen the pictures, like beefcake photo. Yeah, I love it. Oh, a hundred percent. And Michael Myers, of course, he has like the mask and nothing else yeah. on. You know? <laughs> or just, or those coveralls just slightly unbuttoned. To show that chest. Yes, or he's hold, zippered, holding mean. the knife in a very erect way <laughs> near that area. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we've already made this podcast hella gay. But, Scott, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the movie? Give us some facts. Yeah, released October 25th, 1978. This was budgeted at a mere $300 million. The box office is between 60 to $70 million, making it one of the most profitable independent films of all time. Wait, say again how, how much it was budgeted for? It was budgeted at $300,000. 300000 Yeah. 1000 okay. okay, yeah. And it yeah. <laughs> went on to gross between $60 million $70 million, making it one of the most successful and profitable independent movies of all time. That's the thing is that you kind of take for granted for this movie, but it's a pretty DIY movie. 
yeah, for the time. Sure. Oh, 100%. I mean, every any time I've watched any sort of behind-the-scenes or commentary or whatever, they talk about that they were literally just like a bunch of kids making a movie. Like, they were all either in their 20s, or I think John Carpenter was just 30. Wow. And, I mean, of course, the stars were... Jamie Lee Curtis was 19. So it literally is like if you're right out of college and you're like, hey, friends, let's make a horror movie. That's amazing. It spawned a franchise of 11 films which helped construct an extensive backstory for its antagonist, Michael Myers, sometimes narratively diverging entirely from previous installment. This is sort of the choose-your-own-adventure of horror franchises. There's, like, numerous, like, plot diversions that can go with this movie. I mean, there's, like, an internet meme of, like, a choose-your-own-adventure of this series that you choose one movie and what you liked of it, and you can go down, like a path of certain movies that go there. Um, Upon its release, there was a lot of comparisons to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, especially with the iconic score by John Carpenter, and it helped spawn a whole subgenre of slasher movies to come out in the 1980s. All right, let's get into it. I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on as far as the sequels and the lore of Michael Myers and, you know, the... 2018 reboot and all of that I feel like we can talk about that but I think what needs to really be discussed is just how effective this movie as a independent film was and how just I mean to me as a kid it had the reputation of just being scary like that movie's just fucking scary like for real you know I saw it for the first time when I was 11 years old. I will never forget this because I came home from karate practice and my mom, who also loves horror movies, which we we bond over that, said, hey, there's a scary movie on TV. Do you want to watch? And I loved it. So I was like, okay. And we watched it on TV. So it was censored, you know, but right. it was um, – and I just remember immediately the music is terrifying. Yes. It is mm-hmm. just a score. Great score. Uh, like so creepy and so immediately terrified and then I remembered it was such a slow build in a good way like the way that they have Michael Myers stalking Jamie Lee Curtis and watching her all throughout it just scared me and I always thought about like when I'm walking home from school is someone watching me when I'm sitting at school is someone there and there are so many times when they're just building the suspense and you think something is going to happen and then it doesn't and it's genius in that like by the time a kill does happen you've been on edge for so long that you it's almost like a release it just i just remember being so terrified watching it and it building suspense in a way that i've rarely seen in any other horror film so it just really made an impact on me as a kid and then i just fell in love with the franchise and literally have been a fan for uh, i guess well 11 so 29 years yeah (laughs) now that i'm 40 yeah so it, it but i just i'll never forget seeing it for the first time and the effect the original had on me yeah and i think for this movie in particular we take for granted some of the things that it did introduce things like a horror movie taking place on a holiday you know and ever since then there's just like some successful some not so successful um you know horror movies that they just kind of decide to be on a holiday for no reason other than the fact that halloween just works so well you know um yeah. The whole babysitter killer aspect, you know, like Scott said, the final girl. Um, this kind of really introduced slashers in a way that we 
just kind of know and take for granted. One of the things that we take for granted so much about this movie we, we were talking about last night is that in that very first scene of the movie, that whole POV of young Michael, you know, murdering his older sister. And when the camera finally cuts back to the parents and they show him and they take the mask off and we see that it's a kid. Now, you know, we've seen this movie a million times. This movie is, you know, over 40 years old. We're just like, oh, yeah, it's little Michael Myers. He killed his older sister. But at the Mm. time... For an audience in 1978, that would have been a gag. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you think it's just like this... um this cute little kid. And by the way, because this is movies that made us gay, do you know that the guy who played the little kid in that one scene is now, number one, is now hot. <laughs> He's like, in his like, I think, um, 40s, maybe late 40s. He comes to all the conventions. This guy is set just because he was literally in one wow. scene at the beginning of Halloween. Love but it. yeah, like, I think that's what's so crazy. You see this kid and he's done this unspeakable act in this, you know, clown costume. And uh, you would never suspect he just looks, you know, um, defenseless and, and you would never suspect. But then it turns into what they call pure evil. You know, it's just, um, yeah. That's another thing. Uh, you know, Donald Pleasance plays Dr. Loomis in this movie. And, you know, t- mm-hmm. right, right off the bat, the Psycho references, John Carpenter naming him Dr. Loomis after Sam Loomis and Psycho. Yeah. Um, yeah. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis is uh, a little melodramatic with his uh, description of, of <laughs> Michael, just referring to him as it and, you know, referring to him as the evil. The evil has escaped, you know, all of that. And it's like, okay, I get it. You kill your older sister. That's a terrible thing. I'm not diminishing that. <laughs> but it was one murder, people. It, no, it definitely. I think it definitely brought a little bit of camp to it. But I think, and again, only from watching million, millions of times and seeing millions of interviews, that one thing I, I heard is that John Carpenter said the whole character of Michael Myers was inspired by he visited a sanitarium as a young guy and I guess saw a kid and he said he looked at the kid through like I guess a doorway and the guy looked like he just had nothing behind his eyes and he said it terrified him because it's almost like you know there's some people in this world that are just bad people but when there's just nothing there that can be it's like the epitome of evil like you there's you just can't even determine right from wrong I guess basically a sociopath but I guess that inspired him to create this character that just had no human emotions, yeah. no human-like characters, and then I think he camped it up a little with the Doctor. You know? <laughs> so I was reading alternative castings with Dr. Loomis, which are interesting. So I guess that the role was intended for Peter Cushing from Hammer Horror Movies. Peter Cushing. And that would oh, have wow. been interesting because he would have just done Star Wars at the time, so he would have been very topical in the late 70s. He passed on it, and I think that they did offer it to Christopher Lee, who said no. And Christopher Lee, wasn't he in Assault on on Precinct 13? Uh, Yes, yes, but I think, um, wasn't Donald Pleasant, sorry, my (laughs) my cat wants to be uh, involved in this. (laughs) Okay, okay, sorry. Um, I I feel like, I, I think, I thought Donald Pleasance, or Peter Cushing was, yes, yes. Because Assault on Precinct 13 was the movie John Carpenter did before this, which yeah. got him. Uh, you know what? Okay, you're right. Peter Cushing was in it. Donald Pleasance said he decided to do it because he had seen Assault okay. on Precinct um, 13. But yes, I think it was, you know, but just like Jamie Lee Curtis, I think you probably saw, wasn't their number one choice either. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, and I can't remember. I'm bringing, but they they had another person in line. But then it, apparently it was Deborah Hill who really wanted to go for Jamie Lee Curtis because not only was she new, but obviously the tie to Janet Lee yeah. from Psycho made for a perfect story. Yeah, you know? definitely. And I think she is really. I mean, she's really good as Laurie Strode in this movie in particular, just because she has this kind of like, you know, she's paired up with these friends, right? Um, I'm obsessed with the friends. We love Annie and who's PJ Souls plays Linda. Linda. And and Linda, yes, totally. I mean, Annie and Linda, <laughs> it's like I I get how Lori is friends with them cuz at uh, at first glance you might be like, "Well, why is she friends with them? They're like oversexed and they're just like drinking beer and like boning their boyfriends and Lori is just like knitting while she's, you know, babysitting and and like focus on school and all that but you know sometimes that happens sometimes your friends yeah your friends group is all a bunch of different weirdos what's the whole like margaret cho stand up and then there's the hoe and then there's the hoe yeah Uh, (laughs) there's this yeah but do you guys feel like every time i watch this that i feel like linda and annie are so mean to Lori. yes they love to give her shit yeah I mean, but more that I mean, I like to give my friend shit too, but it's like constant making fun of her, especially from Annie. Like yeah. as an adult, I watch it back and see, and I'm like, wow, like does Annie even like lawyer? Does she just hang <laughs> have her around so she can feel better about herself? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things again that I feel like I've seen this movie so much that you just kind of take for granted the um, the dialogue and things. But when you actually try and sit back and watch it objectively, every now and then you're just like. Wait a minute. That's so harsh. <laughs> like, come on. She is kind of oh like God. she's rough with like she uh, she calls the guy and like sets up a date with somebody that Lori said she thought was cute. Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer. I love yeah. that. I love that they always refer to everyone with their first and last name in this movie. Oh my god, totally. Yeah, totally. Oh god, I'm Linda. But yes, and and it is funny because you think that um and I and again, other things I've seen is like apparently there was some backlash in Halloween that they thought like um the filmmakers were trying to make a statement about, you know, if you're having sex and doing these immoral things, yep. you're going to get killed versus not. And but John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, Jamie because they've all said it really wasn't that. It's more about that because Lori wasn't just stuck on everything going on with a boy or, or drinking or partying, she was more aware of what was going on and she was able to actually, you know, know or have the smarts to be able to do something and defend herself, whereas Annie and Linda were so oblivious to everything. Yeah. You know, we all have friends who we feel like are kind of oblivious to stuff and they just didn't know Michael was watching them, didn't know he's creeping it. Like, you know, so so it's so obvious that I don't think it's anything about you have sex, you die, even though right. I know that's kind of a trope. I think it's more like if you're only obsessed with boys and drinking, you're going to get killed. No. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Lori's such a... she's. I mean, she's not innocent. Well, I guess she is. But, yeah, I think she's just... You're right. She's aware of her surroundings. She's a smart girl. And, you know... Lori's just more I, observant. And, and I, it ends up being her saving I, yeah. virtue in the end. And I actually really love Lori Strode as a character. I mean, obviously, because everyone knows, like, I was kind of a smart kid in school. I wasn't quiet by any means and mm-hmm. was not incredibly moral. But um, I th- I like that, you know, she was the – everyone kind of knew the sort of goody-goody type. But she sets, like, she was very good with the kids. Like, she's very compassionate. She's very strong. She, you know, when she walks over to the house, when she suspects something's going on, she could have easily just ignored everything. 
something, you know. So I feel like she does set up a good character that is compassionate, that's um, strong, that fights back. And she's always protecting the kids even before herself. Like, everything is about get the kids to safety and I'll deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it really sets up a respectable character. And I think that's why it's become so beloved over the years, you know. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So... Just to kind of give a little bit of plot of uh, of the movie, we won't go beat by beat, but you know, Michael Myers, as we said, as a as a young child, he kills his older sister. He gets taken away to the crazy house. He gets washed over by Doctor Loomis, and it's right before his twenty first birthday. Is that what right around what we're, yeah. what we're saying? Uh-huh. He's supposed to go. He's supposed to be moved and to go on trial. I guess. Yeah. And there's like a crazy storm, and it's like you know, uh, it's. It's raining, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's raining. That scene <laughs> where they drive up to the mental institution and all the crazies are wandering around in their hospital gowns is so creepy. Mm-hmm. It's like... Oh, yeah. So creepy. <laughs> um, and also just everything with the nurse who comes back, you know, in the sequel and various sequels because when he... Again, I always go back to the very first time I saw it because obviously the first time you saw it's when mm-hmm. everything is, is a novelty. And when he jumps up on the car out of nowhere with that with like crazy sound effect, you yeah. know, it's really scary. And, um, and you know, and basically breaks his hand through the window to steal the car. But, of course, the big question that everyone jokes about is how did he learn to drive a car when he was in an institution for 15 years? <laughs> he looked like he was doing pretty well last night. I mean, <laughs> yes. we just see the it, car maybe drive Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. Yeah, yeah. We don't, I know, yeah. We don't see it, like, starting and stopping and, like, stalling out several times on the freeway, which maybe it did. But um, not only does he know how to drive this car, but he can figure out how in the dark of night to get back to Haddonfield, his hometown. Without GPS. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, it, true. Quest- questions you can't ask. No. Um, but um, I guess if it's true that, because you know how J- Dr. Loomis has one of his many speeches <laughs> and he says how he observes when he observed the kid, you know, just looking at a wall and not seeing anything, but just looking forward to this time when he can escape. Yeah. So I guess you're going to think if for 15 years he was sitting in a room not doing anything, Thing, maybe he could have planned this great escape after 15 years go. of doing nothing else. I know? like it. So <laughs> he makes his way back to Haddonfield where we meet Lori. And Lori's father is a, a, like a realtor. And um, mm-hmm. he's I guess he's preparing to sell the Myers the house. Because he Myers tells her house. to drop off the key. Yes. And the Myers house yes, from the beginning of the movie has fallen into disrepair over the last, you know, 15 or so years. Lori shows up. Mm-hmm. She sees her young ward, who she will be babysitting later. Tommy uh, Doyle. Tommy Doyle. Who, yep, good old Tommy Doyle. Who, God bless him, just want to smack him every now and then. But uh, <laughs> So at this point, Michael's already in the house. Because this is the first time we see like his silhouette like from behind. You know, as she walks up to to the house from the sidewalk. and He looks like he kind of has some Mo Howard from the Three Stooges hair. He's got a little kooky hair. We, yeah. we don't know if he has the mask yet, but it's just a, it's just a silhouette. Um, at this point, we find out that Tommy and the local kids say that this is a haunted house. We The, the neighborhood kids know that some bad shit went down there, right? And like I said, it's fallen into yeah. disrepair and it's all gross. Do you think Lori walking up the walk, the front walk, and Michael Myers just seeing her out the window. I mean, obviously, this is kind of where his obsession with her starts, and then he just stalks her the rest of the movie, essentially, right? 
Yeah. Because I was asking Scott last night, why her? Why is he chasing her? What is the deal? So there's... So there's many interpretations of how he started his obsession with her. Obviously, if you get to the sequel when they brought on the whole sister connection, right. you would say that he came back specifically to kill his sister. I mean, they literally wrote uh, Halloween 2 with that in mind. In fact, I'm sure you've heard about the footage that was added to put it on TV. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the extra scenes? And one of them they added, since John Carpenter wrote that while he was writing Halloween 2... One of the extended scenes in Halloween has them looking at the door of uh, Michael Myers uh, where he was staying in the institution before he left and he had carved sister into the wall. So if you go off the – yeah, so so very obvious. If you go off the sequel, then his obsession started because of that connection. If you don't and you go on the timeline of 1 in 2008, which I've been now kind of going off of because that's the latest timeline, then people say that he went back to his old house and she was – just a teenage girl that sort of reminded him of his sister who approached the house and that just kind of you know I don't know if it stimulated him, mm-hmm. titillated him, whatever word, um, and got him to start following her, and that's how the obsession started. So I think that would be the way of looking at it without the sequel and the sister connection in there. And what's scary is that it's ambiguous. You don't know. Yeah. yeah. In this version, in, in the 1978 movie, you're just watching it with no context. You're just like, why is he chasing? Like, why is he stalking her? Because he's clearly following her. You know, yeah, and it's tr- and sometimes again, I've always said this about movies: the lack of a motive to me makes something more scary. Oh, yeah. I've always yeah. so. I mean, and and I'm not knocking the sister connection because I actually liked that and and H two O. And at first, was very surprised when they uh, decided to nix that for the 2018 sequel, but. Mm. I also think it is scarier when any random person who comes across his path could be the latest victim or he could become obsessed with. And so it makes it really scary that a girl shows up at the house on Halloween and it suddenly, you know, excites him enough to follow her and stalk her and her friends, you know? Yeah, definitely. We should also probably give a shout out to the Myers house, which we have talked about on this podcast before. It is in our hometown of Pasadena. The, the Myers it house to is. me is like whenever I drive past it or I walk past it, it's like visiting like my grandparents' house. I'm like, oh, there's the Myers house. <laughs> there it is. And it's a dentist's office now, right? <laughs> yep, it it's is. a dentist's office. And I, I visited it, and I know they moved it from its location. But that's what's so cool about living in Southern California and being a fan of this movie. So many of the filming locations, or all of them, in Pasadena mm-hmm. or in West Hollywood. And you can see the Doyle house, the house, uh, Lindsay Wallace's house, the Strode house, where they had him feel high, um, everything. So it's really cool. But, yes, the Myers house is like people are visiting that all the oh, time. Oh, all the time. Right? I mean, every time I go, I see people near there. Yes. And they only moved it about half a block. Block, even when there's a shot of Lori and Tommy walking down the street after dropping off the key, I think that you can see Mission Boulevard. Like it's the reverse angle, and you can the reverse see angle, and you can see the kind corner, of where it is now. The corner where the um, hardware store is. Where they can you up. imagine being the dentist in that? Uh, like, how can you not be like, I'm the dentist in the Myers? You just have to roll with it. You should just make it a spooky dentist office. Come on. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, the, I feel like that is such like niche advertising yep. where he can say like, if you've seen Halloween, yep. now get your te- teeth cleaned in the Myers house. I don't know yeah. if it's a I dentist mean, office. I, I, I think it might be a law office. 
dentist. I thought it was dentist. Sounds right. I don't remember. We'll have to double check. It could have changed, but you know, for instance, the uh, the Strode House, which has that famous stoop mm-hmm. that she sits on holding the pumpkin. Oh, I've sat on it many times. The, <laughs> yes. Okay. So then you know the owners are cool enough that they put a pumpkin yes. out there year round mm-hmm. so people can take pictures. Yes, any fan knows that. But but my point is saying that if you yeah. live in that sort of house, like just to, you know, embrace it, go with it, use it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Don't be like. Don't be. Don't be a Grinch like the people who own the Goonies house. And put up like what are the people? Oh, they put up tarps so you can't take pictures. They tarp their entire up. wraparound porch because they are just so oh plagued by Goonie fans. <laughs> then don't move into the Goonies. Yeah, that's house. like that's what I mean. I'm it, you know, like it's like if you don't want to live in a house where a murder took place, don't move into a house where a murder, a murder house, took place. Exactly. If you don't want to, yeah, exactly. So we we often also uh, because it's kind of in the same neighborhood is the house that Michael steps out from behind the bush, and then yes, steps I think it, it is. I have filmed myself stepping out from that bush, <laughs> which sounds funny. I have done everything any crazy fan that you would think of, I have done. About the only thing I haven't done is I just saw recently that someone proposed to their fiancé on the stoop with the pumpkin and gave a pumpkin that said, marry me, carved oh, wow. into the pumpkin to their partner on the wow. stoop. So, okay. That, yeah, that's the only thing <laughs> I haven't cute. done. But, yeah, I mean <laughs> – yeah, it is cute, and it's just like, uh, um, yeah, the, the bushes there, all the houses, like, it's so cool that you can see these places. Yeah, and and if you are a movie person and you're there for this kind of, like, fun little, you know, movie pilgrimage, it's also the same neighborhood that a lot of Back to the Future was filmed in. Pee-wee's, you get a lot of bang for your buck if you just go play, hang out. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, his house is just down the street. Yeah, so South Pasadena, people, <laughs> head out there and, and be a nuisance to <laughs> to our neighbors, but but don't you love that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill filmed this in Southern California yeah. in the spring, and it's supposed to be yep. um, Midwestern Ohio or sorry Illinois, Illinois in the fall. Yep. I love that. <laughs> you know, it's such like a rookie thing to do, but at the same time, I love that they did it and made it work. Yeah. You know, just pay no attention to those palm trees off in the distance or the succulents in the garden. <laughs> it, or, or or the California license plates oh, on some of the cars. I mean, there's so many different things. And But what's funny is that these are things you could never get away oh, with. No. Or, or, I mean, you could if you were doing independent films. But it's so funny that people can look back on this film and you almost love it more yeah. for its tiny faults. Yeah. You know, it feels more authentic, you know, for filmmakers. Yeah. And there's just something about movies from, you know, that time period that – I feel like they didn't have to worry about the scrutiny of home video. You know, you didn't have to worry about people streaming something or even having a VHS of something and constantly pausing it and rewinding it and like, you know, screenshots and all that stuff. You just get to make a movie for people to go see and enjoy and remember it. And, but now it's like every little detail has to be thought about. And also we were kind of talking about it earlier the idea of motives and the idea of backstories and all of that is just something that it's okay for a movie to be a little ambiguous. And like you said, it makes it a little bit more scary. It's spooky. okay for Michael to just sort of be this blank slate of evil. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's okay to have a simple plot. Yes. Like, I feel like, unfortunately, it, it usually happens to any franchise. The first movie is simple and effective, and then you, every sequel they think, yeah. because they don't want to just remake the original, they have to keep upping the stakes. But even nowadays, since there's so much horror out there and so many streaming platforms, I feel like in order to break through, you have to have some novel idea. I mean, even Scream now, which was making fun of the fact that we already knew all these tropes, is now outdated because it's over 20 years old. Like, the fact fact that the movie that's making fun of uh, dated tropes is now a dated trope yeah. in itself. It's just like, where do we go next? It just sucks because to me, again, the simple and that's why Halloween scared me so much. I was never as into to, uh, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street because I I couldn't put myself in the position of someone in my nightmares killing yeah. me because I didn't believe that. And Friday the 13th, the Jason parts just seemed so over the top and it just, it wasn't real to me. But to me, someone, uh, you know, in a mask who's just following you and, and, you know, hunting you down and your friends, just that simplicity really affected me. And I felt like that could happen. Yeah, you know, it sure. does happen. I, I was a babysitter <laughs> so, when I was a teenager. <laughs> I could have been the Lori. <laughs> Would you have been the Lori, the Annie, or the Linda, though? Even oh, though I was pretty. I was pretty <laughs> square. I, I was pretty square as a teenager. <laughs> I would have been the Lori. I love it. I love it. I love how she's so offended when like Tommy pulls out the comics that are like Robot Man and Neutron Man. She's like, first off, it looks like he's grabbing porn yeah. because yeah. it's st- stashed <laughs> under the couch. But she and she's like, oh, I can understand why your parents don't want you to see. Oh, far be it for those robots. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, and that's such a very quaint thing to worry about kids reading comic like science fiction comic books that's just such a a thing from the past that nobody even talks about now yeah lobster oh my god with internet porn available that's the least of their (laughs) concerns a kid looking at robot or alien comics you know (laughs) um we we can talk a little bit about tommy and the neighbor girl Lindsay, played by Kyle Richards. Kyle Richards from Real Housewives. <laughs> so we got into the last season of Real Housewives. So I really got my introduction into Kyle Richards on that show. I still can't make my mind up about her on Real Housewives. <laughs> I, you know, I do not watch Real Housewives. I know you have to probably take my gay card away for that. In that respect, I very much, I've never watched. I've never been into it. But what's funny is that when I heard about Real Housewives, I was like, oh, all I would say was, oh, Kyle Richards from Halloween. <laughs> yeah. like, and this is before she even signed on to the latest sequel. Like, to me, Kyle Richards is all Halloween. <laughs> so everyone says Kyle Richards, Real Housewives. I say Kyle Richards, Lindsay Wallace from Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle But Rick- what I love is that she has a great relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis still. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I was going to say and just Kyle and her sister Kim just ha- like they were just these working child actors from the 70s. That's so interesting. Yeah. They just did the rounds. Yeah, they just did the rounds. Uh, Kim did a bunch of Disney movies. I- she did her Yeah, uh- and you think it's like Oh, I, was, I don't know a lot about the other stuff she's done, but I have seen her say that most people remember her from her acting for other than Real Housewives for Halloween, which I think is cool, you know? Yeah, for sure. She seems very gracious about it, and she will be in Halloween Kills. I know. Isn't that awesome? I mean, but not just that, and I know, you know, this we can talk about later if we even talk about, but the fact that Halloween Kills, the latest sequel, which comes out in a year, is bringing back so many yeah. characters from the original. I mean, for it's just, I always say this to people, um, 
what other than Star Wars, can you name one other franchise that has lasted for this long and brought back the original cast yeah. to come back and p- reprise their roles? Like, you've got to be pretty monumental of a film to last for that long and bring back people who are still interested in playing their roles. Yeah. Yeah, and it just speaks to, you know, the how successful this Ver- this version of Halloween, you know, this particular iteration of, of the franchise is. Um, I always, my friends and I would always, uh, we watched this when we were teenagers a lot on Halloween. We'd get together and watch it every year. And um, we were fascinated by it because my friends and I grew up in, in and around Alhambra, which is one town away from South Pasadena where they filmed it. So we felt like this was our, like, the school, neighborhood, you the know. The school that Tommy's at is in Alhambra. Yeah, one of my good friends, Laura, went to that elementary school that Tommy Doyle went to. That was, oh my that God. was her elementary school. Um, so, so cool. yeah, so we had this connection to it. And we would always just pick up on these little things that were just so simple. But oftentimes, some of them just went unsaid. Like, in the credits, Michael Myers is credited as The Shape. Yeah. Like that's yeah. so spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I and again I've heard a lot over this too and in a way I like it because we all know he's Michael Myers but because it's almost like they're they're dehumanizing him. Yep. You know what I mean? Like he appears throughout the movie so much as just this really spooky shape that's watching them. You know, it's not like anybody convert. I, I mean, unfortunately, I think like today in the latest movies, they would always call him Michael Myers. But yeah. in the first movie, he really was just this shape of evil. Yeah. And I think they could get away with it with now out it being hokey back then before they really spent too much time talking about Michael Myers specifically, you know? Yeah, that, and that's the thing now. It's like he's just become part of pop culture. You know, we can't get away from the mask. You know, we, we know we know this image. We know this imagery. But at the time, yeah, like you said, it was just a, it was a lot more simple for them to to refer to him as that. And yeah, just this mask in particular, um, it does have a face. It's William Shatner's face. Possibly. I don't know how apocryphal that is. The story goes the art department went to Hollywood Boulevard and they picked up a Star Trek mask. And they just sort of judged it up. They cut the eye holes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they cut cut the eyes out larger. They got rid of the eyebrows. They spray painted it white and, like, messed up the hair some. But I've got to say, and again, of course I'm going to sound so biased because I love this movie so much, (laughs) but... I truly believe, and this is one of those less is more um, things, that the mask is terrifying. Yeah. Like, it's so, like, that's simplicity again. It's like you can have the craziest clown creature figure looking mask, and it, be, it can be so over the top that it's hokey. But this, I think they liked it because it looks so devoid of any emotion. Yeah. And that is just terrifying. Like, someone with that mask on staring at you. I think it's terrifying, and I truly believe, even in the latest movie, they've never be able, been able to recreate how amazing the last looked in the very first movie. What's the You're worst? Right. You're right. What's the film that has the worst mask? 100% Halloween 5. Five right? Michael has a rece- receding hairline. <laughs> and um, not again, nothing against receding hairlines, of course, but I'm just saying, I don't know why they had to give Michael a receding hairline. It doesn't line. match the and other it, ones, right? It's like the face it, is different. It's it's so bizarre, and then like in Halloween Six, the it's a combination of the mask and the person playing him. He looks like he went, went to a gym for <laughs> a bunch. You know, it's almost like suddenly he's muscular and broad shoulders. It's all and, yeah, 
Exactly, but Halloween Five is to me the absolute worst mask. Like literally, they did, did you watch the original? And yeah. also, Halloween Five took place only one year after Four, and I didn't really love the mask in Four either. But like, if it's only a year later, why not just keep? Like, did they really <laughs> mess up the mask in Four one year later? Did they, they have to give it away for mask? charity? I don't know. <laughs> I, I really wonder about... I know after the first movie, I get that they didn't take care of the mask because they didn't think there'd be a sequel. Oh, sure. And then the second movie, it was done. But after four, come on, you made a five like one year later and you completely redo the mask. I think it's... Uh, oh, one other really bad mask. There's one scene in H2O where they had to put it in at the very end and they use CGI. And it's so obvious that the, the mask is CGI. It's right when the kid is going in the garbage disposal and then sees Michael in Halloween H2O. And when you watch it, you'll see it. You'll see the mask, and it's a computer-generated Michael Myers mask, and that's pretty bad, too. Wait a minute. Is it baby Robin Williams from from Jumanji in the kitchen? Yes. Wow. He goes into – and, you know, they have that good scene, suspenseful scene, where you think Michael's going to turn on the garbage disposal, but he doesn't. And the kid finally gets the corkscrew, and he turns around, bumps into Michael, and says, hi. And you see CGI Michael looking at him. It's ridiculous. Why did they do that? Maybe they just didn't get the shot Uh, right? I read, it's so sad that I've read all this, but I read that what happened was they had filmed a lot of scenes with a mask that Jamie Lee Curtis ended up not liking and thinking looked as much like the original, and they tried to refilm a lot of parts with the better mask. That was one that they couldn't do, so they just CGI'd it so it didn't look weird, and I don't know. I love that uh, (laughs) as they're doing post for H2O, Jamie Lee's just like, nope, that mask is wrong, fix it. And they did. I mean, you know, when you're an executive <laughs> producer and you have the power that she has, I mean, now I love it that she's like one of the in charge yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I love it because that shows how much she loves yes. this series. That's what I was going to yeah. say. And you saw, I mean, because Halloween 2018, I mean, she was doing press, more press yes. than I've seen yeah. her do for anything yep. in her effing I life. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis can push a movie on her Instagram. Months after the release date, as we saw with <laughs> Knives Out. <laughs> I was just going to say Knives Out, she still posted about I think it. That yeah, she's but still on the she, press tour for it. Oh, man. I mean, it's it's funny. But she, I mean, talk about being loyal to your, I mean, wouldn't you love to have Jamie Lee Curtis in your movie? She's like, I will promote it for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have but a soft spot But I love it. I mean, for, uh, she has even said. We have a soft spot for H2O here at uh, at Movies That Made Us Gay. It's, it's, it's a little corny, but um, it's definitely a product of the post-Scream movies. The Harvey Weinstein and Dimension, like, takeover. It's also a movie that I feel like, as much as I love it, it also feels like it's kind of cut to death. Like, it clocks in at just under 80 minutes. So I think that there was a lot of shit that they didn't, that they ended up cutting for the movie. I do like H2O. I, it's one of my favorite sequels. I will say, I mean, obviously, because Jamie Lee Curtis is in and they kind of went back to their roots, yeah. I will say it does feel like, I call it the Scream version yeah. of yeah. Halloween, because it's very, you know, fun, entertaining, witty dialogue with the kids, um, and, it, you know, because it took place back then. I, I think my biggest problem with H2O is I felt like Jamie Lee Curtis was playing Jamie Lee Curtis, yes. not yeah. Laurie Strode, whereas in the 2018 Halloween, I genuinely felt like she was Laurie Strode yeah, again. Yeah. She looked like her. She sounded like her. She her emotions were like her. Whereas she was just too cool in H two O. You know, the characterization in twenty eighteen felt very on point, and I think that Jamie just had a lot of say into this is how we're going to do this character now. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think my biggest yeah. uh, problem with Halloween H2O is definitely Michelle Williams' styling and her eyebrows in particular. But that's for another podcast. <laughs> and also the most successful headmistress under the age of 40. Yeah, she's killing it at yeah. the school, man. She's like 38 years old and is like the headmistress yeah, of know. this private school. I know, exactly. And um, I, I do think Josh Hartnett's hair should get its own uh, um, um, award. I can't award with his hair. Because, like, Those goat-chewed bags. Like, his, what is it's, the... It's uh, the hair sticking up in the end. The little the flip back, in the back. And, what yeah. is going on with that? It's like, it's a bowl haircut. Well, he didn't get a cut for the faculty either. Awful. Yeah, I mean, I guess that became his thing, you know, like, hey, you know, like the brooding team. <laughs> but, I mean, of course, uh, I he it was a great first role for him, just like Jamie Lee Curtis having her first role in Halloween. Like, to be, to have your first role to be in such a big movie at the time, that's pretty cool yeah. for him. So, we were talking a little bit about uh, Jamie Lee's portrayal of Laurie through the years, you know, in H2O in 2018. Uh, I have a little clip of... Of Lori and the gang from early on in the movie, where they first kind of spy Michael, and so we can kind of get a get a feel for her, her delivery and her characterization. Let's take a listen. Her babysitting. The only reason she babysits is to have a place. Oh, shit. To... I have a place for that. I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my, let's see, my French book. And, well, who needs books anyway? I don't need books. I, I always forget all of my books. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you have your books or not. Hey, isn't that Devon Graham? I don't think so. I think he's cute. Hey, jerk! Speed kill! joke so at this point she had already seen him at school yes she was standing outside of the class with the mask yes and i i feel like you know she doesn't the the one thing i think is she she's definitely spooked but she doesn't voice it more i don't know Mm -hmm. i guess i look at it as if i saw the first time if i saw someone standing outside watching me i'd be telling my friends all day i'd be telling my parents i would not be babysitting i would not be thinking of my chemistry book like i and so she kind of doesn't say anything until like after everything happens between seeing him after the bush seeing him in her backyard she finally tells annie when they're in the car and i'm like oh my god something is obviously wrong like this isn't just coincidence yeah for sure i think she's a little bit uh more you know about seeing him especially like you said she's in school she sees him outside the window of the classroom then sees this same guy drive past her slowly and stop the car you know seeing him in the backyard that's the one that's where i'm like oh hell no oh my best friend's dad is a cop i'm calling him yep Yeah, yeah. I mean, that in the bush scene, I can't, I love saying it. You know, the, the bush, bush scene. scene. Yeah, the bush no, that in exactly the bush scene, I, 
again, always, I guess I should call it the hedge. There you go. Um, the hedge scene in the backyard always terrified me because it is, again, I always put myself in these positions. Like, I used to walk to school in elementary school, and if I ever saw someone just, like, standing by and staring at me with a mask like that, that would scare the shit out of me. And then, obviously, in the backyard when you're by yourself, like, it's just so effective. It's done so well. And um, I just love that, like, Linda right away... To thinks about a cute guy. Annie right away has a smart ass comment. You know. Yeah, I feel like Pete and I will just be walking down the street and we'll see a car drive by, and we'll just say, "Is that Devon Graham?" <laughs> I think he's cute. I love, I love that. And also, don't you love? But one of my favorite things about that scene also is that. When the car drives by them, it's not that far away from them, and I can clearly see that the person inside's wearing a mask. Yeah. Did they not see? Is Devon Graham really pale? <laughs> like, I just really want to know. He's got crazy hair. Because, <laughs> I just want one person one time to say, is someone... Is that a mask yeah. that the guy's staring at me with? Not one time does she ever... Even when Lori says, you know, he's, he was standing in the backyard and they think it's the old neighbor, she, they never say it's someone with a mask. So I, would you? do you guys think it's just because we're supposed to think they think that that mask is it's really just, just sure. a person? His crazy face. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I just always found that funny in all these years. They never say. You're right. She never. That person is wearing a mask never and staring at me. And that's a, or because it's Halloween. And that's it's just true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's Halloween, and they're just like, okay, everybody's in costume. Um, we also have a little bit from uh, the bushes or the hedge scene. So we'll, <laughs> we'll listen to that right now since we're talking about it. Behind the bush. I don't see anything. You drove by so fast that when you yelled at. Annie just has these balls of steel. Well, I'm going to go fucking talk to him. That creep. <laughs> like, she's going to go and call him out. bitch. Like, uh, also, poor Laura scared another one oh away. Oh, my God. Like, fuck so you, mean. bitch. <laughs> Can you imagine your friend? Like, I mean, and then she, I think she tries to cover it up. But, oh, it's tragic. You never go out. You're always babysitting. I, I just think it's so funny. Her comments are so just demeaning yeah. the poor little lord totally. I, I love it though it's so cunty i think it's <laughs> i think it's delightful uh we have to give a shout out to deborah it, hill because yeah. i think that she is the one that wrote all of the uh all the girls dialogue yeah and by the way deborah hill is amazing and is so it every time i think about that um she died so young of cancer it mm-hmm. always upsets me because she was not only on a career to be a great probably director herself was just paving the way for women in yeah, filmmaking she was a trailblazer. like was 
Yeah, was one of those people that, you know, was not going to just sit and help the man, even though she did with John Carpenter, mm-hmm. but she was working toward her own project. She spoke up for women in film. You know she would have been one of those, like, barrier breakers. It just, it's so awful, and I hate, because I see interviews with her. She was so eloquent. She was so smart. So she's definitely just as part of this movie as John Carpenter, she, you know? She even stood by John, Carp- John Carpenter when they broke up and he was dating Adrian Barbeau when they made The Fog. I know. And she still worked with him yeah. and she still had nothing but good things to say. It's um she was a class act and it's just uh it's it's really sad. It is really And sad. she gave us clues. And you know she would have loved well, and also, you know she would have loved, you know, whereas I know John Carpenter is an executive producer on the 2018 Halloween, and he did the score, and I'm grateful, but have you seen interviews recently with John Carpenter? Because he comes off as so much of a curmudgeon, and I'm saying oh, no. this knowing that he's one of my idols. Yeah. I love John Carpenter. He's immensely talented. If it weren't for him, it, there would be no Halloween, but sometimes he comes off just kind of like, well, if I get a check, I'll do it, And <laughs> and versus someone who loves... The film, whereas Deborah Hill, at least everything I've seen with her in it, I I feel like she would have just loved where Halloween has come and totally been a major part of the 2018 sequel if she could have. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Um, uh, I have to give a little shout out to Mama's family because when they drop (laughs) off PJ Souls, I'm obsessed with this. So this location, which we've been to a handful of times, and we've actually have seen just guys dressed up as Michael Myers just wandering around this block, which is insane (laughs) to see that just driving by in your car. But um, when they drop off PJ Souls, she walks up the off. She walks up the walkway to the Harper's resident from Mama's family. Really? So do you think yeah. that PJ yeah, Soul's character could be a Harper? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how she got out of um, taking her brother trick-or-treating. You know, she says, I just need to get out of uh, taking oh, my brother yeah, trick-or-treating. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I want to know – I also want to know why um, anyone hires Annie or Lo- Linda to be a babysitter because you know they've got to be the worst babysitter. Oh, we have thoughts of Annie? this whole, like, child situation later in the movie. Annie takes oh, okay, her. Okay. Annie takes Lindsay, drops her off across the street with the responsible one, Lori. But it's like, what mm-hmm. is the thought process behind that? Like, walk me through that. Like, what? What like, are the parents going to think when they get home? Let's say Annie they, wasn't murdered. Like, <laughs> they're just going to come home. To I mean, nothing? so there's a million. I have so many questions. Number one. What happened to Paul? Because when Paul wasn't picked up by Annie, did he ever check up on oh, her? Yeah. Did he ever like? I always think about that. You know, how she says, "Well, well, first off, and this is only me like delving into every little thing in the dialogue." When Annie's first trying to talk with Paul, she says, um, "Why don't you just come over?" AKA he's close, and, yeah. and he says, "No, no, pick me up." Okay, so she never shows up because she gets murdered. Is is Paul go- – why didn't Paul go over to check up on her? Why didn't Paul call Lori? Paul just doesn't care yeah. about Annie. But, yes, to the kids, my biggest thing is what if the parents came home and, yeah, Annie's going to say, oh, I just dropped her off in another house and they put her in the same bed as Tommy Doyle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I know they're little kids, but come on. Oh, my God. Also, this party that the parents are out, which is like, is this an all-nighter key party? What time are they getting home? I love – well, in Halloween 2, which, again, if we if we keep that as, as part of the mythology, they when she when Laurie Strode gets to the hospital, she says, have you reached my parents? No, we still can't get in touch with them. Oh, where are her parents? <laughs> like, I mean, come on. They're still what at the key party. What party that parents are going to <laughs> – 
Exactly. The party and it just they're just not there. Lindsay's parents aren't there. Tommy's parents. Apparently every party went to this rager. I mean every parent went to this rager. <laughs> My parents definitely weren't going to all night Halloween parties when I was a kid. I love a Hadden, a Haddonfield parent rager. <laughs> what is going on? I mean, maybe I mean, it's, it's like got to be. Maybe it's like the party from Hocus Pocus where all the parents like have like took over City Hall in their own party <laughs> and, without and kids. Witches put a witches put a spell on them so that they dance all night. Dance all night long. That's why they never came home, and nobody can get a hold of them. It, so, it is. <laughs> So right now we take for granted the fact that we can just reach each other at a moment's notice. But sometimes back in the day when you made plans with your friends and they fell through, you were just kind of fucked all night. So there is a possibility that Paul is just like, what the shit, Annie? <laughs> She's not home. So she has to call. He has to call Lindsay's parents. So he might not have the number. Paul doesn't seem that bright. And, you know, now that I think about it, remember the scene when Linda and Bob are having sex in the bed mm-hmm. and the phone keeps ringing and they're like, we can't answer it. Oh, Let's yeah. just suppose that's Paul. There you probably go. Yeah, that was him Annie. calling. There you go. Okay. I mean, because he's probably like, hey, Annie, you going to pick me up? Yeah. No, she's dead. So so here's another thing. Uh, uh, what's what's PJ Soul's character's name? Linda. I'm forgetting. Linda and Bob. We were trying to figure out if Bob was hot. Eh. Kind of. If you, um, took those, so, if you take those like Coke bottle glasses off, I think that he's hot. I, I think he's cute, and I will say this. Uh, I went to the t- 2018 40th anniversary Halloween convention. Love it. And that's sadly not the first Halloween convention I've gone to. But uh, Bob, the actor who played him, was there, and he's aged really well. Oh, nice. I, I did mean, a Google search a- of him. He looks pretty cute. <laughs> He is. So I've got to imagine by the fact that he's still a handsome man that he was pretty cute back then, you know? So I just love the fact that Linda and Bob are just like, okay, we're going to meet up with Annie and Paul. She's babysitting. She's got the house to herself. We're going to go and we're just going to bone because we're teenagers and we can't do it in our own houses. So they just need a place to go. So Annie's like, come over. You could use one of the empty bedrooms in this house. Annie's nowhere to be found, so they're just like, oh, she's probably out picking up Paul right now. Let's go up into this stranger's house we are now breaking and entering. Get into their bed. Fully get into bed and just bone zone. It's hilarious because you think, again, if there was – erase Michael Myers from the storyline yep. for a second yeah. just in our hypothetical world. Annie comes home with Paul and finds them fucking in her babysitter's or, or, or the kid's parents' bedroom. Are, like, is she or worse, be Lindsay's okay parents that? come home and find that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. you, And there's not one – the only – Reservation is when Bob puts the doesn't want to answer the phone because yeah. he says, well, you know, it's, it could be Lindsay. So I was, at least they put that in there. But I just love they're they're literally in the bed. No cares in the world about that. But hey, don't answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These kids are so hepped up on booze they couldn't care less. I love Linda's orgasm. <laughs> Linda's getting it. She's yeah. Bob is giving it to her. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, we are getting to probably the most iconic scene of the movie. I don't know if you want to wait to talk about that, but with the sheet over the ghost of because. Yeah. Uh, but leading up to that, before we even talk about that, I love that again. Bob goes down to get beer. So did they bring their own beer to stuff yeah. in the Wallace's fridge? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or are they just cleaning out these people's like? Alcohol? I think that I think that I mean, he's just cleaning out Lindsay's dad's like <laughs> Schlitz or something. 
Also, and I truly hope they address this in Halloween Kills by how much time they give Kyle Richards, but... Whatever the Wallace got, the, the Wallace has got the shit end of the stick because they have to come home and know that yeah. there were three murders in their house. Oh How do you live there ever again? Sure, like three teenagers were murdered. So I'm hoping that they maybe address that. Like Kyle Richards, said, well, obviously, I guess she didn't move because she's still in Haddonfield 40 years later. But <laughs> I always thought about that 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 house got it the worst because that's where every murder took place. Well, according to Kyle Richards on Real Housewives, she is like number two on that call sheet. Of yeah, how she would she, talk about the movie. If you listen well, to her side of the story, she's uh, she's going to be in it a lot. We'll see. I hope that she's driving the truck that uh, Lori, her daughter, and her granddaughter get picked up in, in that teaser. Oh, my God. She's like, I got bangs, uh, girls. I, <laughs> I, I want her and Tommy Doyle to visit uh, Lori at the hospital. I would love that. And I would also love for Tommy to bring some of his old comics to see if Lori still will read them, too. Played by <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall. Yes. Have you heard the the reason? I don't know if you're wondering, like, why Brian Andrews, who played Tommy Doyle, didn't reprise the role. No, what happened? Um, we were at, we were wondering so that last I night. Don't, so apparently, I don't know a lot, but I have seen him on social media, and he's a little crazy. Apparently, um, okay. again, I don't know for sure. I've just seen some crazy posts. I think he has a lot of animosity because he wasn't asked back for Halloween Six, which had Tommy sure, Doyle. Sure. Um, I I think he. I don't think he acts anymore, and I think they wanted someone who was an actor. But I think when they probably figured if it didn't work out for Halloween Six, we're not going to try to even get him for 2018. And like I said i think he's very like anti the series now because he, I, I don't know again this is all speculation but i've seen st- social media stuff where he seems a little crazy whereas kyle richards has always been like so beloved in the franchise yeah. you know very interesting i think that they tried to get paul rudd and he was just unavailable because of ghostbusters that would have been interesting because that would have made you know, the, I, that would have made the timelines even crazier that you're putting but that's the an thing. actor as from much that. as i I love Paul Rudd, and I think he did great in the movie. But, yeah, it would have been really confusing. If you're saying you're ignoring all the movies, why would you cast someone from one of the movies yeah. that you've ignored? Yeah, sure. You know? Agreed. So, you know what's interesting about PJ Souls? That uh, hmm. I know that she's a big, like, Trump supporter. So, I'm surprised that really? she hasn't gotten into it with Jamie Lee Curtis online. Maybe she just knows to just pick her battles with something like that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to get into I mean, it with Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis online. Yeah. No, and but, but Jamie Lee Curtis is very much an, an anti-Trump. I didn't know PJ Souls was a Trump yeah, supporter. Yeah, I think that she's kind of a, a big <sighs> manga supporter, which is a bummer. That is a bummer, and it's just unexpected because do you know she still does roles in little like straight to DVD horror yeah. movies. Uh, really crappy ones actually I saw her in a trailer for one that looked really really bad but I guess you just think someone who has been such an integral part of horror considering the groups like you know the LGBTQ community who yeah. loves horror that you wouldn't support someone like that but what people else? are complicated <laughs> yeah okay alright well we'll go ahead and come on back in right about here and what were we just talking about we were talking about um, casting for the Oh, and in, in, yeah, in the, it would have uh, been fun to scene. see Paul Rudd just because I love Paul Rudd, but I get it. It would have just been confusing. So probably yes, Anthony yes. Michael Hall is the better bet or the better he has like a Tommy Doyle look 
to him. Like, I, I mean, in a way of how I would imagine Tommy Doyle would age to look. And I also sure. think maybe, again, I'm, that was everything I said before was all speculation based off of things that I've seen people say on social media. So I don't know the real reason. But also yeah. maybe they wanted someone who looked more... I think Brian Andrews is short. I don't think he's a very tall guy. Maybe they wanted more of a menacing look for Tommy Doyle. Mm. I have no idea. Just, you know... Just what you see on Reddit. <laughs> they probably just wanted a better actor, too. I mean, it could be many things. I just know he's, I think, pretty bitter. Oh, too bad. Which I guess I would be, too, if they were in a iconic movie that they were bringing back the cast and I wasn't brought back. I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah, true. Well, so, yeah, this all this shit goes down, and it's interesting that it does go down in Lindsay's house. Um, yeah, so most we of them are the favorite scene. Yeah, well, oh yeah, <laughs> I was going to talk about the fact that Mike Michael Myers had the time to ar- arrange these lovely tableaus throughout the house with uh, <laughs> with all of their bodies and his oh, sister's yes. headstone <laughs> that he, that oh, he oh, yeah. stole. That he stole in broad daylight, or, or maybe I guess no, he probably stole it what, the night before when he drove out there. Sure, but um, with his bare I, hands, uh, I do think duck. you've got to say, yeah, Michael Myers has a slight sense of humor because after he kills Bob, he decides to uh, tease Linda by putting the glasses on him wearing a sheet, so it looks like Bob's playing a trick on her. Yeah, that image. Of him with the sheet and the glasses, and they're those seventies like big I love it. glasses. It's so creepy, so effective. It's creepy and effective and hilarious at the same time. Like yeah. I think the first time I saw it, I was terrified again, being a kid and not knowing what was going to happen. Now I watch it and I just love it. Everything, like the dialogue, the see anything you like, my favorite line, and when she cracks herself up by saying, can't I get your ghost, Bob? She thinks she's so funny, you know? Um, And and just the fact that he's standing there not saying anything and she, it takes her a while to finally realize maybe something's wrong here. Yeah. Uh, We have a clip of that as well. We'll take a listen. Oh, good. See anything you like? <laughs> What's the matter? Can I get your ghost, Bob? <laughs> all right, all right, come on, where's my beer? Can't you answer me? Okay, don't answer me. Are you weird? Well, I'm gonna call Lori. I wanna know where Paul and Annie are. This is going nowhere. I love that uh, Bob, when he was downstairs, what ha- something happened and he goes, Linda, you asshole. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone thinks that everyone is trying to scare them, which, you know, is pretty authentic because people, well, first off, everyone tries to scare their friends and especially on Halloween, but it is kind of funny. He just thinks, it's like the theme throughout. Everyone thinks, oh, they're just playing jokes on me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, that scene is super creepy, super scary. Um, We haven't played any Loomis clips, but we talked about him a little bit. He loves a good monologue. <laughs> oh, he loves a good soapbox. I mean, 
And by the way, like a, a theme through this movie that becomes a recurrent theme through every sequel that he was in is they always blame Dr. Loomis. Yes. And it always frustrated me because, you know, the, you know, I think the sheriff in this one says, you let him out, let or him out, you, yep. this is why did you let him out? And he keeps saying, no, I didn't. I, if anything, I said that he should be in maximum security, but no, you know, it doesn't matter. It's always yeah. your fault. It's your fault, <laughs> Dr. Loomis. He escaped. Wait, and do, that's the thing, yeah. Do they tell us what happened, like with the with the whole escape situation at the beginning? Is it a power outage? Like, how do they all escape? I think it's the, kept pretty ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, the in the in that the only thing they say is in that scene that was added just for television because they needed more footage to fill the uh, TV two hour time slot. There's a scene after he escapes, like I was saying, where Doctor Loomis is with a nurse and she shows him his room before he escaped, and like everything's thrown aside, and like I said, the sister is carved into the door. Uh, so sure. they don't actually talk about the escape as much as that they're setting the seed that he had a motive or an objective. I don't know when I had this taped off of TNT if that <laughs> version was it. They don't show that version anymore, which sucks because every time I see it on TV, like AMC Fear Fest, I think they're going to show the TV version. But apparently it was – I think it was for NBC or something. You can still get it on, obviously, collector's edition DVDs. But even though they call it the TV version, it was that one network at sure. then TV version. So. Do you want to hear something wild when I first saw this movie? Yes. So I remember it was the summer that H2O had come out, and I had not seen Halloween, but I was very interested in just Jamie Lee Curtis and H2O, and I just needed to track down this movie. And I remember when I got home from the Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman movie Practical Magic, and it was <laughs> on cable, and I got the end chasing. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So then, and then I went back and I rented it from our video store and watched the whole thing. Wow, I, that's like the scariest part of the movie. Yeah, I, I can't like, believe what you is this. Seen it I need time. to watch all of it. Yeah, how did you? How had you? How had you uh, dodged it all the way until then? I was at the movie. No, but I mean, like your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, 1998 is when you first saw it. Wow. Mm-hmm. But I was also, like, my relationship with some horror movies when I was a kid, I would be very standoffish with them. Like, I remember looking at all of the VHS boxes of all of the sequels and just thinking, like, this movie is way too scary for me. But I'm just going to mesmer- – I'm just going to memorize this entire video box. <laughs> Video boxes were very effective mm-hmm. uh, in the old video store in kind of uh, oh. telegraphing what, what you were going to get when you got home. And there's always something very fascinating, scary about the horror section of a video store. Oh, I used to, I mean, God, as a kid, I'm sure we all remember as a kid, but I would always go right to the horror section, look at all of the covers. I'd go right to seeing the Halloweens in order and seeing how many of them they had. And that was so much fun back, you know, doing that, you know? Yeah, I agree. I definitely was very much uh, into horror movies, and um, I was more of a Nightmare on Elm Street kid growing up, but I had a more of an appreciation for Halloween. Like I said, when I was a teenager, my friends and I started to watch it a lot, and I, that's when I just kind of became obsessed with, with this movie. Not so much the rest of the franchise. I feel like we, we would watch this one every year uh, in high school, and then... 
Saw 2, and I was like, eh, that was kind of weird. And then we all just kind of had this idea or that we had heard or read that, like, the rest were kind of not as great. So I I stayed away from them for a long time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we actually revisited two. Was it last night? Yeah, it was last night. Last night. We watched them back to back. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it is fun uh, I, because I, it's like it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I like to. I mean, uh, the way I saw I saw one first. And then I um, rented two, and and then I didn't know that three had nothing to do with it, but quickly found out <laughs> and rented rented four and five. And I just remember, I I like four. I don't really like five, but I just really missed having Jamie Lee Curtis in them. So that's why when H two O or I found out H two O was coming out, I just was so excited just for them to bring Laurie Strode back because to me the original was just the best. So I felt like they were recapturing the original. But I think two holds up. I mean, it definitely does not have the same suspense. It just goes from kill to kill to kill, which was different from one. But um, yeah. and I don't like it that there's not a Jamie Lee Curtis is just in the hospital. In in a bed the whole time until the end <laughs> wearing um, a shake and go wig <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but you're right it does feel like it's like a fun continuation it's just like more of what you like just not as good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's def- that's definitely true three i mean that's a whole other ball game Do you know we've never seen uh, season of the witch who's we i saw season of the witch uh, i've never seen <laughs> season of the witch <laughs> who's we? i uh i mean it's a different movie that's the yeah. thing it's attempting a to do an anthology series, which yeah. the people did not want. Nice try, John Carpenter. <laughs> the the sad thing is, some I actually do know a lot of people who like that movie. Yeah, I'm not too. one of them, but I know a lot of people. It has a, a big cult following. I actually think it would have been successful if they just called it Season of the Witch yeah. and didn't attach it. They, everything they thought, we just got to attach it to Halloween. Like you said, it'll be an anthology. But that actually came back to bite them in the ass because if everyone hated that it, it didn't have Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my next door neighbor, uh, Chris Vialva, invited me over because his older sister and my older sister went to a Halloween party together. And so we were like the younger brothers who were just like, well, I guess we have to stay home. And we were both <laughs> like 10 and 11. And so he was like, well, come over to my house and we'll watch a movie. And we watched Halloween 3 season of The Witch. And he had seen it already. They had rented it. And um, so he had already watched it. And then he watched it again with me. And I was just like, what is this? And I was not familiar with the first two. I was like 11, you know. So I was like, what is going <laughs> on? Um I wasn't thinking, like, where's Michael Myers? I was just like, oh, this is just a horror movie. And he's, like, telling me about the masks and, they're like, putting the masks on and, like, all this shit's coming out. I'm just like, what's happening? It really kind of freaked me out as a kid. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, looking back, it's 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 not that, like, it's not that effective. But as a kid, not knowing what it was, I was just like, okay, this is kind of spooky. Um, but I also feel like we were just, like, eating candy and just, like, talking about you know, married with children or whatever, and just not really paying that much attention. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird, creepy premise that on its own could be, you know, I guess a decent horror movie if it was on its own, but because yeah. it got put in the Halloween series, people just tend to shit on it all the time because it had nothing to do with it. And it was so weird. But again, a standalone movie, maybe it would have been successful. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, possibly. But, um, oh, well, it's there. 
it's hard to find. It's not on, it's not streaming on anything. You have to rent it or shell out, shell out the money to to watch it. But I think there's a nice Screen Factory edition of it. Oh, is there? Yeah, interesting. Six Six was the first one I saw in the movie theater as oh, okay. a uh, I think 15 year old kid and. Uh, not a big fan of Six, although I've I've warmed up to it a little bit over it. It just, you know, it took everything about Halloween and made it as complicated as possible with the, with the, you know, expl- giving it a motive because of a cult and just everything. Yeah, I was going to say, just- there's like the whole cult thing of Curse of Michael Myers. And isn't also Curse of Michael Myers has like numerous cuts? Like there's two completely yes. different versions of the movie. Yes, well, um, so Daniel Farron is the writer who I have actually met, and I guess I could say I consider him a friend because I met him through Tim, and um, he's a great guy, and he wrote that, and he had a much different vision for it than I think it ended up becoming, and then they they took the producer's cut, which you can now get, and it's very, very different. I mean, I mean it's not incredibly different, but it's different enough that some major plot points are different, and it's... It's interesting, and I do like that one more, but it just, you know, I I get what they were trying to do. They wanted to make something fresh related to it, and they added the cult aspect, and they even had the Dr. Wynn from the first one was behind putting Michael in this cult and helping him kill so that they could see what pure <laughs> evil was like. It just was too much. I, I And I, again, it's just I understand that sequels have to do that but I was just such a fan of the simplicity of the original um, that it was tough to warm up to sequels that just made it way too complicated. Well, sure. Also, just the state of horror in the mid-90s pre-Scream was very different. That's just what a yeah. huge game no. changer that movie was with the genre. Yeah. Exactly, and I think after 6, that's when they were looking at doing 7. They had a whole idea for it if Jamie Lee Curtis didn't sign on, but then she kind of spearheaded doing a 20th anniversary to revisit it, which revitalized the whole... um, Well, it it was part of the revitalizing of the horror genre because it was right after Scream and just really was breathing new life into the whole franchise. And at that point, I had never seen someone come back 20 years later to reprise a role. Uh, It was just so cool for me. Right. And it also led to the superior movie, Halloween Resurrection. Sure. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. (laughs) I mean, that is the absolute worst. First off, it's so insulting that they kill off Jamie Lee Curtis in the first scene. And and I know that I've heard her speak, and she was she wanted H two O to be the end, and she wanted to have killed him off. Yeah, and she was contractually obliged to do uh, a cameo in a sequel. And I guess she this her story is she said, well, if you're gonna do a sequel and keep him alive and have some weird thing, then you better kill me off because it's just like you know I, you can't keep doing this, yeah. and. So they kill her off, which is ridiculous. And then the internet, it was just so bad. I don't even know where to go with it. There was no suspense, nothing Michael Myers like. <laughs> it was just, it was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, was God, it whole, it's so was, bad. Didn't it have some sort of like reality show angle to They're it? They're like live broadcasting from the Myers house. Oh, Danger attainment. But it's just like there's n- there barely any, it's just so, again, it almost feels, it might as well be Halloween 3 Seasons of the Witch because it felt sure. So disassociated from it. Yes, they had Michael Myers there, but it just didn't feel anything like a Halloween movie. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. We hit a lot of the sequels. 
Good. I'm glad that we talked about uh, because this is a this movie did spawn this franchise that is pretty epic. There's a lot going on. Um, We have to get into the main climax of the movie. Yes, we should probably finish with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really this—it's the scariest part of the movie, and this is what I mean when I when I say that this movie had this reputation for being really scary. And this shit that goes down when Michael does get to Tommy's house and chases Laurie through the house, and they have their kind of like final showdown. That shit, especially that scene in the closet, is so yeah. scary. Like and just the build up to it that you pretty yeah. much see Lori walk in real time across the street from Tommy's house to Lindsay's house through the door, through the living room, up the stairs into the bedroom. You pretty much see that in real time. And I feel oh, like yeah. movies like that aren't made anymore. Like you would cut Lori across the street, she would be pretty much like inside the house. Yeah, and I think, again, it was a great way to build suspense that yeah. during that entire walk, which is such a long walk, yeah. the music's playing, which gets you scared. You know that something scary and bad is coming, so the fact that they you know, elongate that scene and you're just listening to music, watching her, it just gives yourself time to be scared. That's what they did so beautifully, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a couple of times that Lori gets in a couple of good jabs you know, with the knitting needles and uh, a couple of times Michael goes down and each time he goes down, he drops the knife. And each time Lori walks away, she leaves the knife. I do do like that moment when she first drops the knife because she just doesn't even want to touch it. Like she doesn't even want to handle it. She consciously throws it away. She consciously throws it down. So I think it works. it's a it's a stupid move, but it, Jamie Lee Curtis. We just watched uh, the one of the first commentaries, and Jamie Lee Curtis said exactly that, where she said the only thing because she even admits that it's kind of a dumb move, but <laughs> she uh, she played the character as someone, or I even think she said in the script it has Laurie looks at the knife in such disgust that she doesn't want to even be touching it, just like yeah. you said. Yeah, but and it does get a little ridiculous. <laughs> After the the closet scene, and I do agree with you, the closet scene is legitimately a terrifying yeah. scene because just that claustrophobic sense of she's stuck in there. Yeah, there's nowhere she can go, and he's coming to get her. Yep, it's it's done so well, and uh, but it shows also how resourceful she is with the hanger, and yep. that she can think fast, and that she actually will fight and keep fighting. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is where. Michael Myers as a character kind of straddles the line of like not really supernatural but he's the boogeyman I mean in this movie he's Mm. stabbed in the neck with a knitting needle shot six times yeah I mean (laughs) unless Dr. Loomis missed a bunch of those that would be really tough to get up from again I think that all I would say is that John Carpenter made this not thinking there'd be a sequel he just left it open ended and then now you have to explain, is he supernatural? Is he pure evil? What? Yeah. I, d- I could see someone getting up from a knitting needle to the neck, I don't think would kill someone. And even yeah. whatever, she, however she stabbed him in the closet, mm-hmm. I could see him getting up from all that. But six bullets, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the shape. He's the shape. Can he's you the, kill the shape? <laughs> the boogeyman. Well, and then also I feel like in 2018... 
he's just kind of like this unstoppable force. You know, he just has this like inhuman strength. Yeah, well, know. funny. It's funny. We were t- you were saying we got to the sequels, but 2018 is the one we actually haven't really talked yeah. about. And for me, yeah. that's like of all the sequels, it, that's the closest to at least creating the feeling that Halloween did for yes. me. I mean, having yeah. the character of Laurie that felt like Laurie, having legitimately caring about characters, building the suspense. But yeah, he's definitely a lot more brutal in the in the 2018 mm-hmm. one, and a lot more unstoppable. There's a lot more fighting, but. I think you just look at him as a force of evil, and that's really yeah, all yeah. you can yeah. say. Yeah, for sure. I think what did what you guys like the twenty eighteen? Oh, yeah, yeah, we liked it a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that I get people that don't enjoy it, but it's kind of like the Star Wars thing with people that are really into Star Wars that just hate all of the prequels and sequels that they just feel like they know the series better than its creator and i just kind of would be like yeah it's a halloween movie chill out what did you expect i had fun and that's the thing i I feel the same i I could easily be a purist like those people if i wanted to but i i the more i've watched 2018 because now that i own it i've seen it a number of times i like Mm -hmm. it more every time i watch it i just um i felt like jamie lee curtis did a great performance you really feel for her like there are scenes when i even feel emotional for her. you can tell that she's suffered that she feels really bad i love the three generations of strone women um strong women are the most responsible ones i i like the connection with um the teenagers and having the little easter eggs of just like the original like when her granddaughter's looking out from the school but it's laurie standing there Mm -hmm. watching her or laurie falling off the roof and then disappearing like he did in the first one i mean uh, there's a lot of good parts, and the fact that it's set up a trilogy, I'm psyched. I'm so excited that we have two more movies with Jamie Lee Curtis that are going to be coming out over the next two years. It's a Halloween fan's dream. Yeah, agreed. I'm almost... I, I won't say that I'm glad that it was pushed, but I like that I have something to look forward to after this shitty year that we'll have Halloween Kills in 2021. Yeah, I was first pretty devastated as pushed because I had been looking forward to this for a long time. But I think to your point and to the point that nobody – I wasn't that surprised, you know. I mean, why would they release right now? It wouldn't be fun. Um, It it wouldn't be fun. You couldn't even see it in a theater. And I don't want to watch it at home. I want to go with a huge group of people in a theater. The only thing that I wish that the movie would have had in, even if it had just been a a one brief scene, I wanted to see just a shot of Lori just by herself. Just processing all of this by herself in her weird, fucked up house. Just like a quiet <laughs> moment with Lori. <laughs> it sounds like a, a TV show. A quiet yeah. moment with Lori. <laughs> and I, I just think it's so interesting that it makes sense that after this trauma, Lori turns into this very right wing, gun toting, like. I mean, I wouldn't say that she's a conservative, but she probably votes Republican. So it makes total sense. Just after all of order, (laughs) she just has to have this micro fixation on just like her gun collection, keeping herself safe. So I think it's just a really interesting path for this character. I also think it's very true to life in that I think we easily, easily 
undersell how much of an effect any horror movie situation would have on a person if it were real. Yeah. Finding your friends dead in a house and and fighting off a serial killer would re- as as a kid or as a teenager would really mess you up. So I'm glad that 40 years later they show someone who that has defined her entire life. It just felt really real because you know how the joke in a lot of bad horror movies is that, you know, someone dies and the people say, oh, and just go on from it. Or like, you know, you see your friends dead and there's no reaction. That's so not true. If any one of us witnessed any death, we would be devastated. But so I just felt like it was about time they showed how a survivor, and even in ways that they didn't in H2O. I mean, yes, she was an alcoholic in H2O, but she didn't look like she was truly suffering like the Lori of 2018 did. And I really respect them for that. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Yeah, 2018 is really a it's, a it's a solid movie. It's a solid uh, reboot, if you even would call it that. But yeah, can't yeah. can't talk enough about it. We own it as well, and we watch it several times since we since we bought it. I and like when you do the timeline, do one followed by 2018, because I used to always watch yeah. one two H two O, but now I'm on the one 2018 <laughs> timeline yeah, that I like agreed. the best. Agreed. And she cuts off his head in H2O, so how are you going to explain <laughs> that? I mean, again, you have, to, you have to end the time. In my mind, that timeline ends with H2O because I can't even think of Resurrection as a real movie. So yeah, I say sure. one, two, H2O, and cutting off the head is the end. You're not buying <laughs> that it's the paramedic? Oh, God. And I love that they say, you know, even in Resurrection, they say, why didn't the paramedic say anything? His throat, his windpipe was loud. Okay, why didn't he just take off the mask to show her? Yeah. yeah, his hand. He had his hands, and he was flailing. So take off the Just mask. Rip the mask Done. off. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, boy. Any final <laughs> thoughts on Halloween? I know it's, it's almost time. It's time to wrap it up. What? I feel like us homosexuals love a final girl. We love to picture mm-hmm. ourselves in their shoes. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of why gay men gravitate towards movies like this. And also, we have to give a big shout-out to our Black Christmas episode, because Black Christmas did a lot of the stuff that this movie did in 1974. Yes. John Carpenter even says Bob Clark really um, inspired him. It had the slasher, the holiday type, and mm-hmm. I love Black Christmas also. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Halloween, I... I I truly believe it had such an effect on me because, like I've said over and over in this, the simplicity of it, the creepy music, the building of the suspense, the keeping things relatable in a way that it's just someone in a mask, you know, uh, um, hunting after someone, strong female character who's smart and can hold her own. It just is something that I feel like people are going to like forever. It's not going to, it's never going to be dated. It's timeless. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Wow. Well said. Very well yeah. said. <laughs> wow. Well, I can mean, can you tell I like? I yeah, know. Can you tell I like this movie? You seem to be the perfect guest for this episode. What are the odds? First person who I thought of. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate and it. And we will eventually get back on Barbara Streisand with Funny Girl. Uh, oh yes, of course. Oh my God, yes. That that would be a great one to talk about. And we'll circle back I on the so Funny much- Girl soon. Doing yes, Yentl and was great. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Do you have anything that you want to plug? 
Uh, yes, thank you. I would love to plug. So, um, Tim Murdoch, who you guys have had on the podcast, uh, yes, Tim and I have been doing for a while, and we're trying to revamp and really get serious about a podcast called Happy Horror Time, where we do only horror movie reviews. Uh, so you can find Happy Horror Time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or look for the Twitter page or Facebook page. And also, my boyfriend, Jacob Randall, who you've also had on the podcast, we're all movies that made us gay uh, fans. Uh, Jacob Randall just un- uh, unveiled his new podcast, which is called Crime of Your Life. And it is a true crime podcast where he talks about whether it's a unsolved murder or a disappearance or a death faking or something. And he's a great storyteller. And you can find him on all of the same platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything, and Crime of Your Life on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. So please, if you like horror, listen to Happy Horror Time. If you like true crime, listen to Crime of Your Life. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing from Jacob very, very soon. Ooh, interesting. I think so. <laughs> I think he may just be talking about a horror movie this month, too. Very fun, very fun. Thanks so much again for coming on the show, man. Thank you, guys. Seriously, it's been a lot of fun, and I always enjoy being on this podcast. All right, you're super welcome. Well, have yourself a very happy Halloween. Thank you, you too. And beware of the boogeyman. Bye. Bye. And thank you for listening, everybody. That was another great episode. Good episode. Love it. Um, Scott, we've got a couple of Patreon shout-outs that we want to uh, give out today. Yes, we do. To our lovely patrons. We would like to say hello to our wonderful people on Patreon, starting with... Starting with Joshua Clement, Aaron Bent, Jim and Melinda Shirley, Jessica Something, John Miller, Nick Thomas, Christine Asher... Rufino Kabang, Mitch Ralston. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for patronizing us, people. And if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com or download the Patreon app and look us up at Movies That Made Us Gay. Yes, indeed. You can support us there. Uh, You can donate as little as a dollar a month. And all this money goes into helping us keep this podcast afloat. It helps us to get new equipment. It helps us to keep the show on the air. We love you so much for doing that, everybody. We have to record our commentary. Yes, we need to record a new commentary. Watch with us for October. Mm -hmm. We need one more commentary for October for Patreon uh, subscribers. Ladies and gentlemen, we would also love it if you would give us a good review on iTunes. Give us a good review on iTunes and we'll read it on the air. Yes, indeed. Uh, We did some last week. We got two new five-star reviews and we would love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts on iTunes. We would also love it if you would give us five stars. Give us five stars. It just helps. Yeah. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. For another spooky episode. (sighs) Bye. Bye.